I think it's all about giving value to get value. Yeah. So always trying to see, you know, where can you provide value? This is a revolution. You know what time oh. This is where Ali can judge from gold. I think it's time that we made a mistake. How's it? And a warm welcome to this very first episode of Bridging the Gap with me as your host, Shal Basil. As the global VP for marketing at The Absolute Company, I'm constantly searching for new insights, ideas, and perspectives that are different from my own. One good way of doing this is to talk to people who have uh, expert knowledge in areas where I know I come up a bit short. For this, our first episode, I'll be meeting one of the world's number one TikTok experts. His name is Timothy Collins, and he's the co-founder of Creed, a media company that focuses on marketing towards Gen Z. They are behind some of the most successful artist launches on TikTok last year. And I'm delighted to be having a conversation with you behind a, a weird screen here in a studio <laughs> in Stockholm. The COVID-protected <laughs> setup. But uh, Tim, why don't you tell us who you are, yeah. what you do? I mean, uh, you've come highly recommended yeah. for this very first <laughs> podcast. And the yeah. number 001 is all about you. <laughs> that, yeah, that's really fun and flattering <laughs> to be the first. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, so my name is Timothy Collins. I am the co-founder and co-CEO of a company called Creed Media, uh, which is basically a marketing company uh, specializing in youth culture and generation Z or Z or whatever you want yeah, to call it. Depends it. on either you're the US or exactly, in Europe. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, born and raised here in Stockholm. My father is Canadian, so that's why uh -huh. I have my English sounding name. Past two and a half years has been building Creed together with my co-founder Hugo Le Prince and uh, pretty much just trying to make sure that you know labels and brands and whatever companies we work with find effective ways to communicate with the new generation which can be quite tricky because especially gen z is a very gen z is a very <laughs> particular type of generation seeing to the fact that they've grown up with digital um, since they can remember so for that it, it comes with a few you know parameters to take into account every time you want to communicate with them or uh, to them. Um, so that's what we've been focusing on. But how did, I mean, how did you find yourself in this game? I mean, clearly yeah. you've got your finger on the pulse. You know, how did that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, it was quite random. Initially, I wanted to become a guitar player. <laughs> I was in a situation where I was, you know, leading a band and project managing a bunch of gigs and hosting events and everything and started realizing that I liked the business side of it more than I did the performance side of it. Um, so for me, I ended up uh, interning at a management company in Stockholm called At Night Management which was founded by Ash Pernori uh, out of the success of Avicii. And uh, for me, uh, it became super interesting getting in a view of what the real global music industry looked like compared to the view I had on it previously. So I ended up there wanting to learn about management, but then I got stuck into everything that there is to know about social media and got super passionate about that and then just wanted to you know, build out my experience within that field. So stayed there, passed my internship, eventually came to the role of head of digital strategies where I was allowed to, you know, work the artist roster that we had, which was, you know, Avicii, Axel Grosso, all the big Swedish EDM boys. Jeepers, Tim, I mean, that's an incredible story. If, if you go from wanting to play the guitar yeah. to kind of really embracing... Uh, the voice of a generation in many ways. Do you think you think growing up in Stockholm has helped you with that? Uh, you've mentioned quite a few names there mm. that have become you know 
quite globally famous. Did that play a role uh, in taking yeah. you down this road? I mean, I think what's been good with Stockholm and Sweden in particular is, to some degree, the Swedish mindset of, you know, putting in hard work and it's always dark or cold. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't do much more than sit and practice or sit and work. And I think for me, uh, it was also, I mean, I've always had influences from abroad. So for example, my father's of course Canadian and my mother, both my mother and father are professional ballet dancers or retired ballet dancers. So they have you know, traveled the world dancing and sort of at least showed me the possibility of if you want to do something, it's possible. You just need to put in the work. So I've always been around, you know, professional athletes with an athlete mindset. So for me, I still remember, you know, some of my earliest memories when I was like six years old, uh, waking up, walking into the living room, I would see my father sitting there, like watching his choreographies over and over again, and then, you know, taking a nap before heading on to stage and stuff like that. And I think for me, that sort of conditioned me into knowing that I had to practice to be good at something. And that's something I pulled into, you know, my guitar playing. I would sit and practice everything from two to six hours per day. The the point that you made about the work ethic and learning to really put in the hours, uh, it, it's interesting we spoke about Generation Z mm. in the US or Generation Z. The, the line of questioning was obviously going to go down this road of, of media and what role it plays with Gen Z, but yeah. I'd love to explore something before we get there, yeah. which is around work ethic and this dedication to the craft. Yeah. You know, would, you, would you say that's typical of Gen Z or do you think that's very unique to you? That's a good question. I mean, I would say if you look at Gen Z in particular, um, they've been brought up with the idea of anything being possible, mm. I guess, uh, due to the fact that, you know, people can live off of doing YouTube and you're, you know, always on Instagram seeing how people live on a passive income, yeah. <laughs> whatever it can be. And to some degree, you know, we get a false idea of what reality looks like, but that still opens up the possibility to dream more than maybe past generations yeah. who've been you know, told that you need to get a super stable education, you need to get a you know secure job that you can work at for 20 years. Uh, just looking at you know friends of my parents and like knowing um, how much they have questioned my way of trying to build a career or my parents' way of supporting me through that um, just shows the differences in generations of what they have looked upon a career to be or ambition to be in yeah. general. So I would say that Gen Z, from that point of view, if you look at the um, the influences that they can get from digital, uh, does open up for them seeing more possibilities, but to some degree also makes them more entitled as well. Yeah. So in that sense, you know, the problem with Gen Z, and you read articles about this all the time, is you know, employer loyalty, for example, like they always want to make a super quick uh, career step up and, you know, get the highest paying position right away and then leave that job to somewhere else and continue doing that all the time, which I think, thanks to my parents and how they raised me, um, I always felt like, okay, it's a part of it to eat shit the first few years, <laughs> yeah, so like yeah, do yeah. your dog years or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something I would have wished or I wish that more people in my generation would do more of. Like actually, you know, saving up money to then put yourself in an internship position, which might be unpaid for a certain period of time to, you know, show your real worth and how you can, you know, take a position that's valid compared to what your demand for a salary might be, yeah. etc. So managing expectations, yeah. but believing in the impossible, which I, which I really took out as a, 
as a key theme. Yeah. It's actually quite funny. You know, I'm defined as Gen X, uh-huh. and uh, I was the I was the child of of immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you finish school back in you know the sort of late eighties, early nineties? Yeah. The 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 expectation was you know either you become doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe an engineer. <laughs> and so when I told the family that you know I was going to study. A mechanical engineering. My great uncle was like, "What? You want to become mechanic? <laughs> you become doctor." <laughs> and I do a very bad Lebanese accent, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's true though. When I look at uh, Gen Z, the the this realm of possibilities is just so open. Yeah, that it it can lead to some disappointment, I guess, in terms mm. of meeting those expectations. Now you've managed to you know, exceed yeah. expectations. Well, besides the the work ethic. Um, and the the obvious point that you made about a good network. Mm. I mean, what what other what other advice would you give to somebody who's wanting to get into the space? Yeah, of connecting with music and with social media. Yeah, I think it's all about giving value to get value. So yeah. always trying to see, you know, where can you provide value, and if you can provide value right away, where can you learn the value that you want to provide? Yeah. So I think that's the most important. Like that's the best door opener that exists. It's like if you can give something, you will always get something back, and not only in you know like career advice, but also in general when it comes to everything, especially yeah. like marketing. It's the same thing. It's like for brands wanting to communicate, it's always about giving value <laughs> because then you'll get from the customers. So it's the same thing every time. Look, I mean, a profound uh, and a great segue actually into the into the, the space I'd like to explore with you, yeah. which is, you know, marketing to, to Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> now you've, you've made a, you know, you've made a life out of that. Uh, uh, just a little bit in terms of, you know, what, what are the, the key, the key areas that you've learned, you know, in terms of really connecting with your generation? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the, what are some of the watch outs and the traps? Yeah. Um, generation C, uh, looks upon themselves as the most creative generation of our time. So first of all, that comes with some challenges (laughs) because they will always think that their view is better than yours. Uh, And if you look at the way that uh, you know, they've grown up now being an on-demand generation at all times. You know, they can access any music they want. They can access, like, they don't remember the time before Spotify. Uh, I'm part of Gen Z and I barely remember that. Like, I don't remember the time before YouTube. So with that being said, their pace is extremely high. Their attention span is incredibly short. So that comes down to a few important things to uh, that you need to face when you're communicating with them it's understanding that okay you need to grab their attention incredibly fast you need to communicate in an authentic way uh, so that you know they want to have fun like they want to enjoy what they are consuming so traditional ads that we saw working a few years ago which i call monologue marketing won't work today because now everything is about the dialogue and dialogue marketing you can't communicate towards a consumer you need to communicate with them in a different way you see that in every shape or form when you know customers of whatever brands it might be you know comment on facebook posts or instagram posts and demand a reply back i think that's a super important thing to keep in mind that you are currently when you're doing marketing and advertising you are in their living room you're on their phone in their home and you need to make them feel comfortable about the messaging you're trying to put in front of them and if you fail to do that you will not be a relevant brand because they will see you as not understanding how their generation works and then that will 
you know, um, impact the relationship you're trying to build with them over time. So I think uh, to to sum it all up, it's basically yeah, communicate in an authentic way that is true to them and making sure that you grab the attention quickly because you will lose it. <laughs> okay, but you, you make it sound very easy, <laughs> which I know it isn't. So tell me a little bit about managing people who are creative. I mean, yeah. it, it would be good actually for anyone listening to this podcast mm. to maybe understand the difference between a creator and a bog standard influencer. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we I think people get a little bit confused, including yeah. me, by the way. Yeah. And then uh, just a little bit of guidance in terms of how you manage talented people who are yeah. calling themselves creators. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think that I, I personally mix it up all the time because I've in the past, I always called them influencers, but now I call them creators because... The, the people that we work with most of the time does bring a unique creative value. So it's not just about, you know, having a nicely photographed picture that's yeah. like uh, retouched and, you know, looks super unattainable and everything like that. But we want to work with creators that make themselves feel relatable so that, of course, their audience can relate to the content they create and put themselves in their position and like just see themselves as them. Working with people that we feel can be creative and put together something as a layer on top of what we've come up with already. So I think, you know, seeing that collaborative factor in it is definitely what brings the most value to the table. You know, seeing the possibility of having one idea build into five ideas. Um, But so, yeah, managing that, it comes down to initially, of course, choosing the right people to work with. You know, you can find a creator that you right away feel like this might be difficult for us to intervene with in any way because they might be incredibly boxed in with what their type of content should be. In that case, it's better maybe not to work with them. And then certain might be more open to collaborate with you. And then, you know, you'll be more emotionally invested in that project as well, both on their end and on our end as an advertiser, uh, which usually just makes this experience more fun and worthwhile, if that answers the question. <laughs> it really does, by the way. It's interesting, though, what you say, the experience more fun, because I, I mean, every creative project that I've ever worked on, if it's fun, your consumer or your audience feels that fun, mm. ultimately. Um, I see you speak a lot about uh, TikTok as a, as a platform. Yeah. Do you think that's a phenomenon that's going to be around for a while, or is there the next version of TikTok around yeah. already? I definitely like the way that TikTok as a platform is built out, as well as how the community engages with it. Um, I think it's one of those platforms where you're allowed to post a lot in feed without feeling that you know you're saturating yourself in your communication. I usually say that it's like a mixture between YouTube as well as Instagram stories. So if you see the spontaneity in postings, it's very similar to how spontaneous people are on Instagram stories. But then if you look at the niches that you find in the platform it's very much like youtube like people create everything from vlogs to cosmetic stuff to do-it-yourself videos to skits and whatever it may be um where in general you know people allow themselves to be a bit more free in the way that they express themselves and they can stay a bit more authentic to themselves on that platform since it's video you can't really edit or fabricate yourself to be someone you're not uh compared to instagram for example Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think just looking at culture and the history of the platform right now, you know, we've come to a place on Instagram where we are used to seeing certain quality in posts. So, you know, for me, for example, I personally 
would feel like I need to get a super expensive camera and, you know, have a setup photo shoot to be comfortable with posting something on Instagram. Whilst on TikTok, even though I don't have TikTok (laughs) (laughs) myself, uh, I would probably be less scared of just sharing in general yeah. uh, for me for why i don't have a tiktok is basically just because i don't have time <laughs> it's a that. rabbit hole right yeah it is <laughs> once, once you start swiping and scrolling you're stuck <laughs> <laughs> do you think do you think there's a, a a next platform the the one that comes after tiktok that you've seen i mean i think it's super interesting seeing what youtube will do with mm. shorts and like their vertical format of it um in general i think we're moving to a place where audio is coming more and more interesting with like apps like clubhouse and stuff like that yeah. uh, but right now i'm not currently seeing anything in close view at least of what i think would be like the next tiktok yeah. or a social media platform to be in that size but there might be <laughs> yeah but it's interesting what you said about the youtube vertical there this mm. migration towards mobile in everything absolutely how, how is it that you at the absolute company work with gen z today like both in regards to uh, you know getting them into the team but also in like marketing of course gen z is quite young yeah, <laughs> still yeah, but yeah. from at least for me i'm 25 so i'm yeah. i'm it's fine for me <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah i think i think we call it legal drinking age yeah. so depending on where you are in the world that will differ yeah um, i think in europe mostly 18 yeah in the u.s 21 yeah um so it's it's mostly the the older gen z that yeah. you're talking to but a super important cohort for us um, mm. you know it's it's a generation that's shaping uh, their beliefs and their uh, choices now mm. around what it is that they want to socialize with, mm. whether it's, uh, you know, an alcoholic drink or not, firstly. Mm. And then if it is an alcoholic drink, then, you know, are they choosing our brand over other brands? Mm. So the the engagement is pretty intense. I mean, mm. it's, it's our focal point from a consumer insights point of view. Yeah. Uh, we have, um, through my colleagues on Malibu, actually initiated something around a consumer council mm-hmm. uh, where we actually have Gen Z consumers who are <laughs> sitting on a council and giving us feedback and telling us what's working and what isn't working <laughs> I love that. which is fantastic yeah uh, <laughs> and we want to roll that out across the business but so wh- when did you start noticing like the generational shift becoming something that you had to put into your like communication plan yeah i mean it's it's an interesting question because i I'm, I'm never sure if there's a moment when you when the shift you know happens now generation z yeah, listens now, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, it's, uh, <laughs> 2019 <laughs> on the 2nd of march <laughs> but, but i mean you you feel it you know i think as a as a business person or as a marketer you can feel that the trends through social media through mm the work that you do with these consumer insights engagements mm. um, and particularly with brands that are focused on on younger and the younger cohort sort of legal drinking mm-hmm. age and, and up uh, you start seeing we started seeing that shift at least three or four years ago yeah, wow. yeah. Um, and I think now over the last two years it's become very much the focal point yeah. in places like China in, mm. in Africa in Latin America um, and I think it's it's interesting for me to see how in developing markets in particular that generational shift probably happens ahead of the developed yeah. world and might be because it's just a larger population of younger people yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> knowing that you're from south africa um what like what has your journey been from coming from there to sweden and what has been like the perspective potential shifts in perspective from you know working there and working here yeah it's such a big question because it's been a, it's been such a transformative journey actually <laughs> for me um 
you know, so beyond the obvious, which was, you know, we we left uh, Cape Town at the end of December of 2018. Oh, wow. And landed, uh, we came via London and landed in Stockholm early January of 2019. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to imagine we left the height of summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with surrounded by family and friends <laughs> and we landed in the depths of winter you know on our own <laughs> oh. there's an expression in Afrikaans which is stok seal alien which is kind of like uh, something to do with like soul alone like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it felt like and I think the journey from that moment which was the the abyss <laughs> yeah. has been you know realizing that even in a cold country where People, I would say, are more reserved than in South Africa. Mm. Uh, that give it a bit of time, and you know, friendships form. Mm-hmm. Give it a bit of time, and the warmth creeps in. Mm. Uh, that there's a there's a seasonality, yeah, which I didn't experience in South Africa. Mm. And I don't just mean that from a weather perspective, but just in terms of certain routines and behaviors. Mm. You know, like the crayfish. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, August, You know, yeah. the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Lucia in yeah. December. There's a there's a moment for everything, and I, what I've come to appreciate about that is having these moments in time mm. brings a certain stability. Uh, to a family, to a life uh, mm. that allows you then to sort of explore other things and push yeah. the boundaries elsewhere. Whereas when, I mean, I, I love South Africa with all my heart, and mm. um, but it, it can be quite a, a volatile place <laughs> you know, in terms of currency, in terms of uh, the economy. Mm. And so you're kind of like day to day just trying to make sure that you've got enough in the bank account. Yeah. And it's, uh, <laughs> whereas, you know, I think for me that uh, having some level of stability is really really been appreciated mm. and then I, th- I think the other part of it is is not judging people by your first interaction mm. um, and I think that's true for for everything really uh, you know if you come from a culture where you know the first time you meet someone it's like hey how's it come on over for a barbecue mm. you know yeah it takes a little bit longer but mm. people are warm people are kind so you know just just give give yeah. give keep it give people the benefit of the doubt. And, and in regards to just like working culture, what's been like the biggest differences there? I I think here um, people like to be left alone and just get on with it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it it takes a bit of discipline as a leader to to be clear on your brief and then mm. to just step back and not yeah. interfere too much. Yeah. Uh, that's been a, a been a nice I've uh, been a very positive shift actually for yeah. me. Um because you can really trust people just to get on with it. Mm. Um and then the other one is around building consensus. Mm. So taking your time to to bring people along the journey, which I think is actually quite healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, it's super frustrating. Mm. You're like, come on, we can, <laughs> we're going to do this. Let's go. Let's make it happen. Um, but, but in actual fact, you know, the, the, the challenge that you, that I, I have had in the past. And I think any, anybody who's trying to make changes or transformation is that if you get ahead of your team or your organization, mm. you kind of have to take a few steps back to bring them on the journey anyway. Yeah. So I think the process of just having conversations, you know, bringing people along the journey and building, uh, not compromise. Mm. So that's the other lesson for me. It's not compromise. It's consensus mm. around the route that we're going to go. Yeah. Uh, means that you can then go quite quickly. Mm. So, you know, start slow, move fast yeah. versus start fast and then <laughs> <laughs> move slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And looking into this podcast as well, I will definitely think of names that I can uh, send your way as well. Because I think, yeah, there's a lot of 
cool people that I think would love this conversation uh, just as much as I That's great. <laughs> I have. <laughs> well, you're very welcome, and uh, yeah. I'm sure we'll we'll have the chance to chat some yeah. more <laughs> over a cocktail next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> great, thanks, Timothy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast, and I'd like to invite you to follow me on our next episode of Bridging the Gap with me, Charles Basil, as your host. Where Ali can judge from gold.